Hello, this is、uh, Dr. Pen Shanchen, the editor in chief of High Rhythm. Thank you for listening to this podcast. The first article of the June 2023 issue is titled "Stellate Ganglion Instrumentation for Pharmacological Blockade, Nerve Recording, and Stimulation in Patients with Ventricular Arrhythmias: Preliminary Experience." The purpose of this study was to assess the outcomes of the stellate ganglion block and the feasibility of the stellate ganglion stimulation and recording in humans with ventricular arrhythmias. Group one included 21, 25 patients who underwent stellate ganglion block for ventricular arrhythmias. 19 patients, or、so、76%, were free from ventricular arrhythmia up to 72 hours post procedure. However, 15 or 60% had ventricular arrhythmia recurrence for a mean of 5.47 days. Group two included 11 patients. Stellate ganglion stimulation caused consistent increases in systolic blood pressure. They recorded unequivocal signals with temporal association with arrhythmias in four of the 11 patients. The authors conclude that stellate ganglion block provides short-term ventricular arrhythmia control, but Has no benefit in the absence of definite ventricular arrhythmia therapies. Stellate ganglion recording and stimulation are feasible and may have value to elicit ventricular arrhythmia and understand neural mechanisms of ventricular arrhythmia, arrhythmia in the electrophysiology laboratory. The second paper is comparison of combined substrate-based mapping techniques to identify critical sites for ventricular tachycardia ablation. Electroanatomical substrate maps were created and retrospectively analyzed in 27 patients in whom 33 VT critical sites were identified. Isochronal late activation mapping deceleration zones were observed over a median of 9 centimeters square. While abnormal omnipolar conduction velocity was observed over 10 centimeter square areas, conduction velocity identified 100% of critical sites in areas with local point density of greater than 50 points per centimeter square. The authors conclude that isochronal late activation mapping, fractionation, and the conduction velocity mapping each identified distinct critical sites. And provided a smaller area of interest than voltage mapping alone. The sensitivity of novel mapping modalities improved with greater local point density. Up next is progressive outcomes of bundle branch reentrant ventricular tachycardia in patients without structural heart disease. Eleven consecutive bundle branch reentrant tachycardia patients without obvious structural heart disease were enrolled. During 72 months of follow-up, PR interval and QR's duration each increased significantly compared with post-ablation. Right and left-sided chamber dilation and reduced left ventricular ejection fraction also were observed. Clinical deterioration or events occurred in eight patients. Genetic testing results showed that six of ten patients, excluding the patient with sudden death. Had greater than or equal to one potential pathogenic candidate variants. The authors conclude that further deterioration of his Purkinje's system conduction was observed in young bundle branch reentrant tachycardia patients without structural heart disease ultraablation.
the Hisprokinji system may be the first target of genetic predisposition. The next one is Evabradin for controlling heart rate in permanent atrial fibrillation, a translational clinical trial. The authors performed in vitro experiments, computer simulation, and a multi-center randomized open-label phase three clinical trial comparing Evabradin versus digoxin for uncontrolled permanent atrial fibrillation. The results show that Evabradin inhibited IF and IKR slow the varying frequency of a modeled human AV nodal action potential. 35 patients were randomized to evabradine and 33 to digoxin. Mean daytime heart rate decreased by 11.6 beats per minute or minus 11.5% in the evabradine arm versus 19.6 or minus 20.6% in the digoxin arm. Primary safety endpoint occurred in 3 or 8.6% patients on evabradine and in 8 or 24.2% on digoxin. The authors conclude that evabradine produced a moderate rate reduction in patients with permanent atrial fibrillation. Compared with digoxin, evabradine was less effective, better tolerated, and had a similar rate of serious adverse events. Coming up is uh, early mortality after inpatient versus outpatient test fibrillation in patients with atrial fibrillation. Using the Medicare fee-for-service database, the authors analyzed 122,289 patients who underwent catheter ablation for the treatment of atrial fibrillation between 2016 and 2019. Overall, 82% underwent AF ablation as an outpatient. Mortality rate 30 days after catheter ablation was 0.6%, with inpatients accounting for 71.5% of deaths. Early mortality rates were 0.2% for outpatient procedures and 2.4% for inpatient procedures. The prevalence of comorbidities was significantly higher in patients with early mortality. Hospitals with high overall ablation volume had 31% lower odds of early mortality. The authors conclude that atrial fibrillation ablation conducted in the inpatient setting is associated with a higher rate of early mortality than outpatient AF ablation. Comorbidities are associated with an enhanced risk of early mortality. High overall ablation volume is associated with a lower risk of early mortality. Up next is sinus rhythm electrocardiographic abnormalities, site of origin, and ablation outcomes of ventricular premature depolarizations initiating ventricular fibrillation. The authors compared the cohort with no apparent structural heart disease and VPDs initiating ventricular fibrillation, that is group 1 of 42 patients, to a reference cohort of group 2, 61 patients, with no structural heart disease and symptomatic unifocal VPDs. The authors found that a reduced QRS amplitude, less than 0.55 millivolt in AVF 
fractionated QRS in greater than or equal to two contiguous leads and or an early repolarization pattern are frequently observed in patients with VPDs initiating VF. VPDs initiating VF typically originate from the distal Purkinje system and the papillary muscles and can be successfully eliminated with castor ablation. The next article is concomitant leadless pacing in pacemaker-dependent patients undergoing transvenous lead extraction for active infection. Midterm follow-up. This study involved all leadless pacemaker implantation procedures performed during transvenous lead extraction in 86 patients with indications for ongoing pacing. There were no procedure-related complications. 65 patients, or 76%, had evidence of bacteremia, 80% of whom were discharged to complete their antimicrobial treatment. During a median follow-up of 163 days, there were no recurrent infections. Of the 25 deaths, or 29%, during the study period, 22, or 88%, were unrelated to the initial infection. The authors conclude that leadless pacing is a safe and efficacious approach for managing patients with pacing requirements that undergo CIED extraction in the setting of active infection. Up next is outcomes of conduction system pacing for cardiac resynchronization therapy in patients with heart failure and multicenter experience. This multicenter retrospective study included 238 patients who fulfilled the CRT indications and received conduction system pacing. Among them, 69 or 29% had his bundle pacing, 50 or 21% had the left bundle branch area pacing, and 119 or 50% had biventricular pacing. Mean follow-up was around 300 days. The proportion of CRT responders was greater in the conduction system pacing group than in the biventricular pacing group. The authors conclude that in patients with heart failure and the reduced ejection fraction, conduction system pacing resulted in greater improvement in the left ventricular ejection fraction compared with biventricular pacing. Next up is clinical predictors of incomplete coronary sinus lead removal during transvenous lead extraction in patients with cardiac resynchronization therapy. Consecutive patients with CRT devices in the Cleveland Clinic prospective transvenous lead extraction registry were included in the analysis. 231 CS leads removed from 226 patients were included. Complete CS lead extraction success was achieved in 220, or 95.2% of leads, and in 216, or 95.6% of patients. Major complications occurred in five patients, or 2.2%. The authors conclude that the complete and safe lead removal rate of long implant duration CS leads by transvenous lead extraction was 95%. However, CS lead age and the order in which leads were extracted were independent predictors of incomplete CS lead removal. Therefore, before the CS lead is extracted, 
physicians should first extract leads from other chambers and use powered sheaths. Coming up next is vagal response is involved in the occurrence of ventricular fibrillation in patients with early repolarization syndrome. The authors enrolled 50 patients with early repolarization syndrome who received an ICD. Of these, 20 patients experienced VF recurrence. This is a recurrent VF group. They found no significant difference in heart rate variability between the recurrent VF and non-recurrent VF groups. However, in patients with early repolarizing syndrome, but not in the Brugada syndrome, baroreflex reflex sensitivity was significantly higher in the recurrent VF group than in the non-recurrent VF group. This finding suggests that in patients with early repolarization syndrome, an exaggerated vagal response may be involved in the risk of VF occurrence. The next paper is uh, imaging modality for left ventricular ejection fraction estimation and the effect of implantable cardioverter defibrillator on mortality in patients with heart failure. The purpose of this study was to examine whether the effect of ICD on mortality in patients with heart failure and LVEF less than or equal to 35% varied on the basis of left ventricular ejection fraction measured by 2D echo or MEGA. Of the 1,386 study patients, all cause mortality occurs in 23.1%, that is 160 of 692 patients, and 29.7%, that is 206 of 900, uh, 694 patients, randomized to ICD or placebo, respectively. They found no evidence that in patients with heart failure with LVEF less than or equal to 35%, the effect of ICD on mortality varied by the non-invasive imaging method used to measure the left ventricular ejection fraction. Up next, the castor ablation of coronary sinus accessory pathways in the young. 24 children aged between 2.7 to 17.3 years underwent mapping and intended accessory pathway ablation within the coronary sinus venous system. Overall procedural success was achieved in 20 of 22 study patients or 90.9%, and in 46 of 48 controls, so 95.8%. Coronary artery injury after radiofrequency ablation was noted in two of 22 study patients, so 9%, and in one of 48 controls, so 2%. In coronary venous system patients, repeat SVT occurred in five of 22 patients, so 23%, during median follow-up of 8.5 years, and four of the five underwent reablation resulting in 94.4% overall success. The authors conclude that the success of CS accessory pathway ablation in the young was comparable to that of endocardial accessory pathway ablation. Substantial risk of coronary artery injury should be considered when CS accessory pathway ablation is performed in the young. Coming up is uh, mechanistics of uh, luminous pacing lead strength during extraction procedures based on laboratory bench testing. Multiple Medtronic Select Secure Model 3A30 lead preparation techniques commonly used in extraction practices 
were compared on the bench to assess rail strengths in simple traction and use conditions with simulated scar. The authors found that when extracting select secure leads, the retained connector method to maintain cable engagement benefits the preservation of the extraction rail strength, limiting traction force to less than 10 pound force or 4.5 kilogram force and avoiding poor lead preparation methods are critical to consistent extraction. Femoral snaring does not change rail strength when needed and offers a method to regain lead rail in cases of a distal cable fracture. The final original article is injectable contraceptive, Depo-Provera, produces erotic beating uh, patterns in patients specific re-engineered heart cells with type 2 long QT syndrome, and induced pluripotent stem cell cardiomyocyte or IPS-CM line was generated from a 40-year-old woman with P.G. 1006AFS asterisk 49-KCNH2. Double treatment significantly shortened the action potential duration and 90% reprodication of the variant IPSC cardiomyocytes. Combined depot provera plus ISO treatment increased the percentage of electrodes displaying erotic beating in the variant IPS cardiomyocyte. The authors conclude that this cell study provides a potential mechanism for patients' clinically documented Depo-Provera-associated episodes of recurrent ventricular fibrillation. This in vitro data should prompt a large-scale clinical assessment of Depo's potential proarrhythmic effect in women with long QT syndrome type 2. The next paper is a contemporary review titled Device-Device Interaction Between Cardiac Implantable Electronic Devices and Continuous Flow Left Ventricular Assist Device. The authors described how EMI from the LVAD uh, impacts the functionality of the CIED and provide possible management options, including the manufacturer-specific information for the current CIEDs. There is a hands-on article titled Caster and the Surgical Ablation for Ventricular Tachycardia in Patients with Left Ventricular Assist Devices. The authors provide a practical guide to this procedure. The last article is a research letter titled Failed Shock in Patients with Hypertrophic Cardiomyopathy. The authors found that delivery of a single failed shock is a relatively common occurrence in HCM patients. Yet, true failure of defibrillation, leaving the patient in persistent ventricular arrhythmia, appears to be rare. Increased maximal LV width was the only predictor of those events. These findings support the use of a single coil lead in most HCM cases and avoiding routine DFT testing. However, in patients with extreme LV wall thickening, DF testing, DFT testing may be considered. I hope you enjoyed this podcast for High Rhythm. I'm the editor in chief, Dr. Pen Shen Chen.